0: Good to see you at the EU public meeting. If you're up the back, and you you're probably nice and close to you. warm with the feet rises in the back. It's always lovely to warm up the back. And it's absolutely freezing down here. So, cool on you for sitting at the back today. Last week, if you're a you of good here, come me, Mark. Right, so last week you might remember that I was trying to explain to you that someone was reading about Jesus in the New Testament Gospels is a bit like watching an actor in front of a green screen. Because unless you have filled in all the background, which is often there in the Christian Old Testament, it is very hard to understand exactly what Jesus is saying and doing. I mean you can read what he says and what he does, but you don't really know what it means unless you've been filled in the background. And last week we saw some of the background of John chapter 6 came from the Exodus moment in Israel's history, where God rescued people slavery in Egypt. This week, there's different backgrounds that you need to have in place to understand what Jesus is going to say and do in John chapters 9 and 10, what we're looking at this week. we'll place on John chapter 9, but they do sort of fit together in John's account of Jesus' life and ministry. So I'm going to hopefully give you enough background such, such that you can actually fill in the rest of the gaps by reading through the John chapter 10 yourself, and it will make sense to you. That's my goal, just in that background for you. Now, to understand that background, um, I need to introduce you to three sketchy figures here on the board from the Christian Old Testament. <laughs> I, I should say maybe shadowy. Sketchy implies they're dodgy, they're not dodgy. I mean, my drawings are definitely dodgy, as someone once said. Then look, they're all armless, my drawings. They're all completely... Always. <laughs> not even very funny, but
1: I, know, I
0: like it. <laughs> <laughs> three things three key figures in the Christian Old Testament. that you need to know and understand if you're going to make sense of Jesus and Nazareth. So to help you with your Bible in, I'm going to flip you up to three particular passages in the Old Testament which are sort of key passages that you probably should just become familiar with if you're a Christian person because they help you understand who the Lord Jesus is. So the first character I want to introduce you to is known as the Servant of the lord the servant of the lord and if you've got your bible there why do you turn it open to isaiah 42. let's have a very brief look at isaiah 42 just a few verses so you might get familiar with this shadowy figure from the old testament isaiah 42 if you look at verse 1 of isaiah 42 you see there the lord the one true living god is speaking and he says here is my servant to my whole. So he's talking about this servant, hence the title for this character, the Servant of the Lord. Okay? What do we learn about this servant? Well, as you read through the first couple of verses of the chapter, you'll learn that the one through the God puts his spirit on this servant. You'll learn that the servant is a compassionate servant of God. He will not even break a bruised reed. He won't even smother a smouldering wick. But you also know that he's a person who will serve with justice. He will establish and the nations or the islands of the world put their hope in him. But the thing I want you to focus on as you keep going out is verse 6 and 7. Have a look at verses 6 and 7 where the like, one who the Lord says, I the Lord have called you talking to the servant in righteousness I will take hold of your hand I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, Gentiles are everyone in the world is not Jew. right? I want to I will make you a light for the Gentiles to so open eyes of the blind to bring captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This servant of the Lord will establish justice for the nations who put their hope in him and he will be a light to the Gentiles, to the nations, who will open the eyes of the blind. This is the servant of the Lord figure. Who is the servant of the Lord? We don't know. When you read the book of Isaiah, it is not at all clear about who the servant of the Lord is. It is left as a shadowy, sketchy figure there. I wonder one day who it will be. That's the first figure. Second figure is the, known as the son of man. Son of Man. Next place to go in your Bible. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Flick it up. The bit to your right in your Bible or in your old mind. It's just where Daniel is. Daniel 7. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel is an in The Old Testament. He's been given a vision by the one who is God, and we're jumping into the vision, and it's in verse 13. Listen to this vision that Daniel is given. He says, In my vision that night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man. Hence, yes. your figure on the board, son of man. Right? One like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, which in this vision is sort of God, God is called the Ancient of Days, He approached the Ancient of Days, was led into His presence, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, of every language, worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So here's this son of man character who's going to be given divine sort of authority and power such that he actually worships. He's going to have a kingdom, he's going to rule, that will last forever. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing universal Worship. This son of man figure. There's the second figure. What's the third sketchy figure in the Old Testament? Well, the third one is the one you may have heard the most about. The third one is called the Christ, or, alternatively, if you want to speak Hebrew, the Messiah. Same word, different languages, right? The Christ, Messiah, meaning the anointed one. Maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, you're a bit familiar with this figure in the Old Testament but maybe not so familiar with this particular passage I want you to look up. Have a look at Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. Now Ezekiel 34, I love the book of Ezekiel, it's so interesting. If you haven't read it before, Ezekiel, uh, again another Old Testament prophet, is part of a longer prophecy that the one living God gives to the prophet Ezekiel to announce to God's people the nation of Israel. Now, this particular prophecy is all about shepherds. It's not actually about shepherds, it's not actually about people who look after
1: sheep. It's a metaphor,
0: and it's actually about the rulers of God's people. God talks about his people, the Israelites, as my sheep. And he talks about the rulers of God's people as the shepherds of his sheep. But the thing about this particular proxy you read in chapter 24 is God is very, very unhappy with the shepherds. That is, with the rulers of his people. Because they haven't looked after the sheep. You can read it through for yourself in chapter 24. They have not looked after the sheep. they have been self-interested and look after themselves. They've actually abused the sheep, like taken things from the sheep, where they shouldn't have be been caring for the sheep, and so the one of God says, I am against the shepherds of Israel. It was a bit scary if you we were a ruler at that time, right? God's speaking But then what the Lord says, the one of God says, you know what, I'm sick of these shepherds who are abusing my sheep, I am going to be against the shepherds and I will look after my sheep. I will, uh, I will shepherd my sheep, lead them into good pasture, Look after them so they can lie down and say you saw it, Exodus thirty-four. But then I want you to point, out, I want to point out one particular part of this prophecy. If you jump towards or jump down to about verse 23 of the chapter, Ezekiel 34, verse 23, he says at this particular point, I will place over them one shepherd, right? If they get the other shepherd, if you're going to put in one new shepherd, I will place over them one shepherd. My servant, David. Now, King David lived hundreds and hundreds of years before this prophecy. He was dead and buried. It's not actually going to be David. He's referring here to the promise that God had made to David that one day he would raise up from David's descendants, raise up somebody who would be king on David's throne. This person was known as the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. So this prophecy here is about that Christ. He's saying, I'm going to raise up one shepherd, my servant David. He will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So Ezekiel 34, we see there's going to be, if you read the details, there's going to be one flock belonging to God with one shepherd. Three shadowy figures of the Old Testament with which you ought to be familiar if you want to understand Jesus of Nazareth. Now, what's the point of understanding these three? Now, you've got your little outline on the way in, right? You get your little outline on the way in. does have beautifully blank on the inside, except for the very simple beautiful page notes. Or fine, maybe blank on the other side, a blank You get to draw, you get to draw today's public meeting. Like me. I'm not, you can very quickly draw this now, right, but, but the trick is this. You need to let that just take up the top part of your picture. Don't use it for the whole bit because this happens. I'm going to show you how this fits with Jesus, right? You just do this. Wait for it. Wait for it. Alright. And then
1: you do this. Yeah. and you're yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> Here are the Israelites in the day of do. Here are the Israelites. They know their scriptures. They know their Old Testament. They know about these three shadowy figures the servant of the Lord, the son of man, and the Christ the Messiah. They have those in mind. They here are trying to make sense of this Jesus guy. They're trying to understand him. Who is he? Is he connected to these three shadowy figures, so that's the question you need to have in mind as we encounter John chapter 9 and 10 and that's what we're going to do now now i'm going to tell you the first little bit of the story of John chapter 9 the first bit of the account and then alice is going to get up to it and finish the story by reading it out for us now what happens in John chapter 9 so you've got your bible there click over to John chapter 9 let me point out a few things a couple of things happened in John chapter 9 and 10 but the essential sort of event in John chapter 9 is this healing of a guy who's blind, blind from birth. Have a look at John chapter 9 verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus disavowed them of that misunderstanding in the next sentence, verse 3. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now you may well have read that passage before. i heard it read out before. You said, yeah, I am the light of the world. No! You've got these in mind. He is the light of the world. Hang on, you know now what that means. You can see the background. What does that mean? I am the light of the world. Remember the the servant of the Lord who would be light to the Gentiles, open the eyes of the blind. Jesus is now saying, I am the light of the world. He's identifying himself with the servant of the Lord. He's saying for anyone who has ears to listen, I am the servant of the Lord, the one who believed for the Gentiles and open the eyes to life. That's me. And to show that that's the case, he then to himself. He constructs a signpost that points to him and his reality that I am the servant of the Lord. And what's the little signpost that well, it's not an actual physical scientist. What he does is he heals a blind person, so that they can see. So that everyone around go, Ah, oh, you really are the Lord. You really are the servant of the Lord. Look, you just you made the blind see. So that's what that's what happens. Verse six and seven, you can see that there's this man who's been born blind and who. Jesus makes it with some saliva, makes some mud from the ground. He puts it on the guy's eyes, tells the guy to go and wash. The guy can suddenly see. Now, this is an absolutely astounding miracle. And you can see the confusion that came about as a result. You've got your Bible there, verse 8 and onwards. Let me read from verse 8. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looked like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then will your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Salome and wash, so I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is this man, I asked I don't know. "I've <laughs> never actually seen Jesus, has he? He's never, he wouldn't know what Jesus looked like. Jesus put the mud on his eyes, time to go and wash, and then he came out and he could see that Jesus isn't there anymore. I know where he is. Complete confusion. Now, to get an experience, to get a taste of just how astounding this miracle is, I want you to humanly by doing something. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. Just, Just sit there. I want you to imagine for a moment, I'll close my eyes. I want you to imagine that for the next hour, full hour, you have to keep your eyes closed. Now that's going to be a bit tricky, isn't it? Because the new public meeting will come to an end. You've got to get to your next lecture or shoot or lab or whatever else you're going to go to. How are you going to get there with your eyes shut? Found what about if you had to keep your eyes shut for the rest of the day? How are you going to get home? How
1: are you going to get in with it? How are you going to prepare
0: your food? What about if you had to keep your eyes shut for the rest of the week? Somehow you've got to get back to me tomorrow. Somehow you've got to get the shopping done, the chores, How are you going to get your job done? Imagine if you had to live every day like this. But imagine if you had to live every day of your life like this. This man was blind. From the earth. Never seen a silence. Never seen a curved Never seen the three years. And then one day, Jesus comes along
1: and miraculously scatters.
0: It's about Jesus, who he is and what he, what he can offer and bring. The Pharisees get all concerned with when did this happen? And as you read, John, i oh, it going out, have it on a Sabbath. The special Jewish day he did work. And then they ask, well, hang on, what happened on a Sabbath? How did this guy Jesus do it? Like, did he technically do work on the Sabbath? And they are completely fixated with the minutia here, and missing what the sign is missing like? who Jesus is, that He is the servant of the Lord. And they basically, the Pharisees themselves are, are divided. They can't work out what name is Jesus, um, and so they ask the man, the blind man, or formerly blind man, "What do you think?" And he says, "He's a prophet. Well, they're still not sure. And they still can't really believe that this guy has been blind his whole life in our city, so they call him his parents. And they ask his parents two questions. They say, Is this actually, oh, I mean, this guy who standing before us who can see now, is he actually your son who was is born blind? Is, he actually, is this actually your son? Is he just some dog he? And secondly, how did this happen? So on the first question, the parents go, Yes, he certainly is our son. Yes, he was born blind." But to your second question about how we can now see, we'll just let him that us. Here you go, know, you can know. Now, why do the parents say oh, yeah. that? Have a look in your Bible at John 9, verse, I think it's verse 23. John 9, 23. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, that is the Jewish leaders, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ will be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. You see what's happening here. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they are the ones who are now not just saying, well, we don't know really what's going on with this. They're now saying, if you think Jesus is the Christ... You're going to be kicked out. You're going to excommunicated. You're no longer, we're not going to let you be part of God's flock if you think he is the Christ. They, they've not just misunderstood the sign. They've completely gone against the sign. It seems to be the way John records it that the parents suspected that Jesus probably was the Christ. But they were just too afraid to say so. So you have the parents there, and then the Pharisees call back in the blind man to continue their interrogation. And Alpha's is going to read for us the rest of the story. Now, as I want to read it, I want, the things I want you to notice the rest of the story goes like this. Notice the increasing blindness of the Pharisees and the increasing spiritual sight of the blind man as the account continues. Thanks, Alpha.
2: They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why? This is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains.
0: So what we see here is that the Pharisees, as the story continues, the account continues, the Pharisees are confirmed in their spiritual blindness. You notice there Jesus' summary in verse 41. He says to them, your claim that you can see, that actually shows that you are still blind. It shows your guilt remains. They claim to be the ones who understand what's going on, yet they've rejected Jesus as this Christ, and they've kicked out those who think he might be the Christ. This is very serious. Jesus says, your guilt, your sin remains. interesting in the story that in their wisdom, the Pharisees thought that the blind man was the sinner. That's what they put, say to him in verse uh, 34. They also think that Jesus is a sinner, according to verse 24. But it turns out that the one who is truly anti-God... It's them. Because when they reject the one that the one true living God has sent, they they reveal that they themselves are actually anti-God. The truth there is that if you reject Jesus, you really are spiritually a blind person. I know a lovely old. She is old now, but she's a lovely old Christian lady. Very sadly, several decades ago now, she uh, was diagnosed with what's called macular degeneration. I don't know if you know what that means. It means that uh, in your, it's a disease of the eyes where initially you get sort of sort of dark spots appearing in the centre of your vision. And over time, they can get completely black and grow larger and larger and larger. And that's how it went for this particular lady. This black spot appeared and just got darker and larger and larger and larger until eventually it, it completely filled her whole... She, she's completely blind. She still loves the Lord Jesus. She's a great prayer, a woman of great faith, in Jesus. But she is completely blind. What Jesus is saying, I think, is that if you reject who Jesus is, then you have a massive black spot in the very centre of your vision. Because who Jesus is, as the servant of the Lord, as the Son of the man, Son of Man, as the promised Christ of God, He is meant to fill the centre. But if you reject him, then you have a massive black spot and you can't really piece all the pieces together correctly. So you might be a very learned person. You might know all sorts of things about science or history or art or politics or the psychology or philosophy. Or You might know all sorts of stuff. You might have papers published with your name on them you might be a professor at the front of God. You. you might write books. You might be incredible. But if you have rejected Jesus, then you are spiritually completely blind. You are wandering around a blind person. And you are unable to put all the pieces correctly together. You might be a very successful person. You're in the Uni, that means you're, you're a leader. I right? have a in teal. <laughs> <coughs> that's you. You might be a very successful person. You might have an A card that's Shit. <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might be a leader amongst your peers. You might be a great success in all worldly terms. A great career, a great job, lots of dollars coming in. Esteemed by others. But if you have rejected Jesus, you are a spiritually blind person. Wandering around in darkness. You might have a very comfortable life. You might have fantastic, you might be in a fantastic relationship. You might have a great family excellent friends. You might enjoy the comforts of this life. You may go on great holidays. You might have a great life. But if you've rejected Jesus, there is a massive black hole in the centre of your vision. And you do not really understand what life is about. No matter
1: that,
0: How successful, how learned, how comfortable, how wonderful your life is. If you've rejected Jesus, then like those Pharisees, you are a blind person. And that's not just a shame. Because like the Pharisees, if you've rejected the one whom God, the living God, has sent, then you show yourself to be anti-God and one day he will call you to account for that. But it doesn't have to go like that. The one true living God doesn't want it to go like that for you. Or for your friends. Or for the thousands here at the end Because as John himself summarised, in the light of all the things we've been reading about Jesus, John himself summarized at the very beginning of his gospel, back in chapter 1, verse 9. He said, The true light that gives life to every person was coming into the world. It doesn't have to go like the Pharisees, it can be like the blind man. Because did you track the blind man's growing spiritual sight through the story? I mean, he'd already received his sight physically, but as the story goes on, he grows in sight spiritually. He's not by the end of Israel, I don't know what is. To then saying he's a prophet, to then saying he's from God. Until then, Jesus comes back to him and says to him, Hey, I'm Jesus. Oh, you're Jesus, you're the one who's going to get them. And then Jesus says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, he's a good Jewish person, right? He knows who the Son of Man is. His Son of Man is going to receive universal worship. Do you know who the Son of Man is? Now I take it as a blind is going, Oh, you can tell me who the Son of Man is, that's right. I mean, you've healed my life. You tell me who he is. We'll, we'll both go worship him together. That'll be great. I mean, If a guy heals you from being blind for birth and says, Hey, you eat this brand of ice
1: cream? He talks about it. What? 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 like, no. just like, no. like, he's not going let me in on the Son of man secret. Like, right? Yeah. If I worship him,
0: he said. Jesus says, I am the Son of Man. I am the Son of Man. And what does does the formerly blind man say? He says, Lord, I believe. And he worships Jesus. But what the verse says he worships Jesus. Now, think about that word worship. It's a bit tricky, right? In the original language, the word, that word, translated worship, can mean two different things. It can mean worship like you worship a God. Worship a divine being. It can mean that sort of worship. But it can also mean just the act of sort of prostrating yourself and sort of bowing down before something. So, when this formerly blind guy says, Lord, I believe and worships Jesus, which one, which one is it? Only context can tell you, right? It's the same word for both. Is it he's worshipping Jesus as a god, or is it just he's prostrating himself and staying before him? Now, most people say, oh, well, he can't worship worshipping Jesus as god. It must just be prostrating himself. But look at the context. Look at the background. He just said he's the son of man. Who's the son of man? The son of man is one received universal worship. This blind guy is the first person in all of John's Gospel to, to actually get who Jesus is in all Jesus' fullness. No one after this particular point in John's account has they've all said different things about Jesus. Oh, maybe he's this, maybe he's that, maybe he's the prophet, maybe he's the Christ. This guy worships him. this unnamed blind guy is the first person in the Gospel account to truly get who Jesus is and respond in worship. And it's not until you get to John chapter 20 that the disciples get. John chapter 20, Thomas is there seeing the resurrected Jesus and actually goes, oh, my Lord, my God, he gets that particular point. Here is this unnamed blind guy who gets it. This is who Jesus is and the blind man gets it. Well, what does it mean for Jesus to give this spiritual sight coming towards the end? As you sort of reflect on the story, I think you can can have three R's, letter R's, that summarise for you what it means to have spiritual sight, like the blind man. Three R's taken from the story from John's Gospel. The first R, what it means as spiritual sight, is to recognise. Recognise who Jesus is. That he is the, the servant of the Lord, the son of man, the, the promised Christ of God. Recognise who he is. Secondly, <coughs> respond. Respond like the blind guy in in faith. I believe, he said, and he worshipped him. Respond in belief and worship. Worship just means to reorientate your life now around this person who you are serving. In other ways the New Testament talks about it's like following Jesus, deciding to actually focus your life around this person. In this case, the Lord Jesus. Recognise, respond, and thirdly, received. Many times i course of this year, I've said to you that John at the very beginning of his gospel tries to summarise everything he come to understand about the Lord Jesus. And one of the things he says in that opening section of John chapter 1 this time in verse 4, uh, he says the true, talking of Jesus the true, sorry, in him Jesus was light and that life was the life of humankind it's a very deep sentence but it captures a lot in him Jesus was life and that life that was in Jesus was the life of humankind so when Jesus says I am the light of the world, he's saying not just he's bringing understanding or knowledge, he's bringing life and think about the blind eye right? When Jesus actually gave him back his physical sight, he did receive a fullness of life that he never received before, that he didn't get to enjoy before. Isn't that right? You go from being blind to having sight. The same spiritually. When Jesus opens your blind, spiritually blind eyes, you receive life. Life in its fullness. Life as God intended it to be. That's what he holds out to you. So let's uh, finish with just a few reflections on that, a few thoughts on that that I just want to share with you. First is this. In this story, if you're a Christian person, where are you? This story about Jesus and the blind man. Well, you are the blind man. You are the unnamed Blind person. Isn't it true that if the Lord Jesus hadn't stopped by you and opened your spiritual blind eyes you would never have recognised he you. You would never have responded to him in faith and worship. You would never have received true life and you would be in darkness. Isn't that true? <coughs> if the Lord Jesus hadn't walked by, as it were, and stopped next to you, in his love, and his mercy, and his kindness, and his compassion for you, <coughs> you are the blind person who wonderfully <coughs> receives sight because of the grace Now, I don't know how messed up your life is. I don't know how confusing your life is. I don't know when you sort of look at your life, you might go, you know what, there's a lot in my vision that feels cloudy, that feels painful, that is messy, confusing. I would say to you, if you are a Christian person, if you put your trust in Jesus, if you respond to Him with faith and worship, then no matter how messy your life is around the entrance, the centre is gloriously, beautifully clear because it's Jesus in all of His light and life that He is. He's stopped by you. Open your blind eyes. No matter how messy the rest of it is, that is and one day, one day, he will take all the mess around the edges and wipe it all away. And turn all that cloudiness in a beautiful case. And he will all things come to be of his glory that's what it means to have light. And that is your wish that's is. important to hear. Isn't that Right? That's how good our life is. So as you go out this week and do whatever else you need to do. Praise so God for the clarity
1: that the Lord Jesus brings. The light life, life
0: that you I was going to close for some to
2: Please join with me in Heavenly Father, we thank you for the richness of your word and for the way in which Jesus fulfills your eternal plan. Thank you that Jesus is the light of this world, the Son of Man, the promised Christ of God. We pray that we and many around us would recognise, respond to and receive Jesus as our Lord and in doing so live life in its fullness. Amen.